This program is brought to you by Suffolk University. Please visit us on the web at www.suffolk.edu. I'm Abby Ginsberg. I'm a documentary filmmaker, and in an earlier life, I practiced law and taught law for 10 years. The film we're going to be showing at Suffolk is called Cruz Reynoso, Sowing the Seeds of Justice. It's an hour-long documentary that ultimately will probably air on public television in the fall, and it is you know, the uh, a portrait, let me say that, it is a portrait of Cruz Reynoso, who was the first Latino to be appointed to the California Supreme Court, and both prior to his appointment and following his appointment, he has been a, what I would call, social justice activist in California and the nation, on behalf of all people. You know, it's interesting, when you sort of tell the story of somebody who was one of the first, for example, he was the first director of the California Rural Legal Assistance, which was the only legal services program in the country that was, you know, essentially designed to provide legal services to farm workers and other rural poor. Well, when they were looking for a Latino director, there weren't a lot of lawyers out there to choose from. And that's sort of been the story of Cruz's life from the beginning. He's 78 years old now, so back then he was one of a handful of Latino lawyers who could possibly have done that job, and the fact that he had come from a family of farm workers, you know, made him a really good candidate. So throughout his life, he's sort of been the first Latino in many roles. He was one of the first Latino law professors. As I say, he was the first Latino in the California Supreme Court and Court of Appeals. We've been slow in this country to end up with a diverse bench or a diverse legal profession, and one of the things that's really sort of, I think, important about Cruz is that not only did he serve and serve in the public interest sort of the whole time, but he also opened doors for others who followed him. And by being both as humble and as competent as he was, it became kind of a Latino seat on the California Supreme Court, and doors opened so that more and more Latinos entered the profession and are now filling many, many jobs. But at the time, as I say, back in the late 60s, he was just one of a very, very small handful of people who could have even put his head in the ring for a job like being head of CRLA. When you do a film like this, which is sort of part biography and part history, it's a film that really, I made the choice to do the film because of the relationship between his personal biography and what I thought were really important sort of historical moments in, in this case, California and U.S. history. So his involvement was that he agreed to have me do the film. He was extremely generous about his time and his willingness to sit for very long interviews. We probably did, I'm trying to remember, but probably three long interviews. He enabled me to meet his family. He let me film him on his farm. He basically responded to requests that I made and said yes. And that becomes very important in making a film like this because if you do not have a cooperative subject, it's very hard you know, to fill in the blanks. You have a sort of an overview when you start a film like this about what you think the storyline is and where you think the rubber meets the road. And then as you start to edit it, you realize, oh my goodness, there's a question I forgot to ask, and you need him to agree to answer the question. When we started the film, there were no openings on the U.S. Supreme Court. By the time we were finishing the film, Sonia Sotomayor had been, you know, nominated and approved. And there was this huge flap over whether or not some comment she made at some speech, you know, 10 years before she was appointed about a wise Latina judge making better decisions. You know, that was all over the news. Well, the fact is, at that event where she made that statement, Cruz Reynoso had introduced her. It was the first time he ever met her, but he was at that event. And so that became a scene in the film, but there was no way to have known that at the outset. 
So that required another interview with him. It required finding some of the footage or the, the photographs, etc. But you never know how things are going to unfold because you never know at the beginning how many years it's going to take for your film to get made. The way that I went from law to documentary filmmaking wasn't exactly a straight line. I, as I say, had practiced for 10 years. I'd worked in a small community law firm in the Mission District of San Francisco. I then went and worked for Federal OSHA and actually Cal OSHA. So I had done occupational safety and health cases, you know, maybe over, I don't know, three or four years. I had also been teaching torts, and I taught legal research and writing at both. I'd had my fill kind of of both teaching and litigating. And at some point along the way, I had an idea for a film. And I managed to find the money for it and then make that film. And from that time on, which was in the early 80s, I have been going, and to this day, from film to film to film. And if you ask me in September what I'll be doing in June, I often cannot tell you. And it has been a combination of dumb luck and some assertiveness on my part, kind of looking for projects I think I'd like to do, that has enabled me to do this for so many years. But it wasn't like I woke up one day and said, okay, I'm done with law, I'm going to become a documentary filmmaker, let's go back to school. I never went back to school. I really learned this on the job. And I think what was motivating me was the notion that if what I wanted to do was be a public interest lawyer, I could sort of transmute that into being a public interest documentary filmmaker and maybe tell important stories in a way that the general public could understand about issues of law and social justice. And I was motivated to do it because nobody else was doing this at the time. You know, we were many generations away from nonlinear editing, and the world has changed. But when I started, it was a bit of a slog. In terms of the influences on my work, I think, you know, I think, in fact, because I was most impressionable in some ways when I was a young lawyer, I think that the films that I've chosen to do reflect the people who have influenced me. My first sort of feature-length biography was about a law professor named Arthur Canoy, who was also a civil rights lawyer. And his life represented to me five interesting decades, starting in the 50s when he represented the Rosenbergs, going through the 60s when he represented civil rights protesters, going into the 70s when he represented the anti-war movement and did a huge case against the Nixon administration wiretapping. That was where I sort of cut my teeth, being able to sort of see that you could do as I say, biography against the backdrop of history and really both tell history and biography in a pretty meaningful way. So Arthur was an influence on me as a young lawyer, and he ended up being the subject of a relatively successful film. The next time I decided to do a serious biography was when I did one on Felton Henderson. And I've done a lot of short ones in between, but then I did another feature-length one on Felton Henderson, an African-American judge from California. He, too, was somebody who I admired and felt like if I didn't tell the story of his life, nobody else would, and I felt people needed to know it. And Cruz as well. These are people who have inspired me. Their dedication into their 70s and you know, maybe even into their 80s reflects a life well-lived and a life of commitment and a life of working on behalf of others and trying to keep the Constitution true to itself. So... I tend to make movies about people who inspire me. Well, I would say the people who inspire me are the influences because they reflect to me something about how I think both people and lawyers can live their lives. And my next project is about a man named Dalby Sachs, who I've known for a very long time. I've known him since the early 70s. And he was one of the first judges appointed to the Constitutional Court in South Africa 
but he'd been a member of the anti-apartheid movement for, you know, as long as I've known him, since the late, well, probably since the early 60s. So again, an important man, somebody who's no one else is going to tell his story, so here I am. When you see the film about Cruz Reynoso and actually meet him, so what I would say is that for the Suffolk Law students who have an opportunity to come to the screening, the add-on is that they'll actually get to meet Cruz Reynoso. I mean, the film speaks pretty well for him and about him, but getting to meet him, and this will be, you know, maybe a unique opportunity because he is 78 years old. So I would encourage people to come out for this screening because just like I was inspired by him and, you know, chose to spend two to three years of my life making this movie, I think other people will be inspired by him. And that's why I make these films. I mean, I don't do it for myself. I already know these people. It's really about trying to share with others something about what makes them special the fact that they've never been heard of before is irrelevant because once you sort of see their life story, you sort of wonder how come you've never heard of them. And I think students particularly will feel inspired by what they learn and by meeting him personally. The film's website, which has just been redesigned and is quite nice, is www.reynosofilm.org, Reynoso spelled R-E-Y-N-O-S-O, and my larger website that shows the other work that I've done is www.socialactionmedia.org. So if you're interested in other work that I've done, that's where you would find you know, little trailers of the other films that I've worked on. This preceding program was brought to you by Suffolk University. Please visit us on the web at www.suffolk.edu.